Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. What a is the over-under on the number of episodes we'll need to finish this prediction pod. This is the Arsenal Vision Post-Match Podcast. My name is Elliot Smith. You can block me on Twitter, Yankee Gunner. It was supposed to be one episode. This is the second episode. Sometime by the holiday period, we plan to have our predictions finished, and even by then, they might even be more accurate. Now, Scott is coming up down the line, um, so we will get all of his predictions in what will be a snappy 15-minute segment, I am sure. But here to finish off what we started is Tim. You can find him on Twitter. Stoberto. Hello, Tim. Hello there. And Paul, you can find him on Twitter at Pause in My Pants. Hello, Pause. Woohoo! And Clive, you can find him on Twitter at Clive PAFC. Hello, Clive. Hello, hello. So if you uh, don't understand why there's a little bit of extra uh, joviality in my voice, it is because I am seeing my friends, my podcast mates, on my screen right now. We are uh, recording the video for patrons, so if you want to sign up for Patreon, you can see the video. Clive, I want to tell you, um, I know for those just listening in an audio format, it's hard to paint a picture but suffice it to say, people really enjoyed seeing you. You got rave reviews, and in particular, your glasses. Do you have anything to say for your glasses? <laughs> no, no, no. These are my uh, my podcasting glasses and my Saturday night glasses, right? So, when I, <laughs> and just so I can see the smirks and all your faces, right? So I don't actually need them to do the podcast. I, I actually take my glasses off, knowing this was going to be a video pod, so I didn't have to see your faces clearly. I'm kidding. I don't wear glasses. It is the one uh, anatomical thing about me that works. Uh, you know what? Let's just leave it at that. Uh, so here's what we're going to do in case you missed it. We're going to finish off our prediction section. So last time we had a bunch of over-unders on predictions for league finish and Aubameyang goals and things like that. We're going to pick up where we left off, and then at the end, we'll do some things that aren't numerical. Player of the season, most improved breakout player, and the villain of the piece. So we're going to do all of that. Uh, I think let's pick it up with something that is actually a little topical because between recording the last one and recording this one, Matteo Ganduzzi tweeted. He tweeted, this is this is big. By the way, Mesut Ozil has tweeted. He did a Q&A, and I will say this about Mesut Ozil. Good at the social media. Very good at the social media. Took some pops at Tottenham, said, I'm ready to play. Unfortunately, I don't pick the lineup, but I'm ready to play. Uh, we will see uh, if Mikel Arteta agrees. But 
As far as Matteo Ganduzzi, he tweeted out that he was proud of his work with France, and now it's time to get back to work with Arsenal. I think he changed his header image to wearing an Arsenal shirt again, which surely means he's captaining the side against Fulham, but we'll see if everyone agrees. So, Tim, I will start with you. Over under Ganduzzi starts 12.5, and these are all league uh, league numbers, by the way. Over under Ganduzzi starts 12.5. Going to say under. Um, just because I still think there's a good chance he's sold if we get um, if we can do a part exchange or we can get good money for him, and if he is kept, I think that he will be behind Shaka and Sabios still as first choice. So I, I think he'd only be partially rehabilitated. Um, so he might be another one who'd see a bit of the Europa League and the Carabao Cup if he stays. So I'm going to say under. Mm. If you're partially rehabilitated, you are not rehabilitated at least not in the world <laughs> of uh, addiction i would say uh paul you got a lot of credit for your praying mantis like style your ability to sit motionless <laughs> taking in all of our 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 information as it was presented which people were surprised that there was so uh doesn't sound like people had you down as the fittest of the group but in fact you uh you do have that runner's body so congratulations to you um do you see mateo ginduzzi as over or under 12.5 premier league starts I have that runner's body in my basement. Um, and the fucker who called me a praying mantis, mm. God, that was good. He absolutely you nailed, nailed it. me. You nailed it. Because I had my hands like this. For to be like fair, that. though, your wife didn't eat you, so you're doing better than most praying mantis men. That's because we haven't had sex yet. Uh, well, your daughter would beg to disagree, but okay, fire away. <laughs> I, w- I won't go down the personal yeah. route. Uh, go for it. Yeah, so Let's not. Let's not. Uh, over. Over. Over 12.5. I mean, it's a bit binary. Assuming he's here. It really is, isn't it? Yeah. If he's not here, I'd say zero. But assuming he's here, yeah, over 12 and a half. Considerably over it. Okay. So the interesting thing for me with this, Clive, is that I actually think it is a little more complicated because even if he stays, you've got Ceballos, you've got Shaka, who I think even if he stays, you'd have to think that the manager prefers them. And then if we do make an acquisition like Thomas Party, and if we do get an hour, I mean, I don't see all of that happening, but if it were to... You'd be in a situation where Ganduzi could stay, and even if he was back in the good graces, in terms of Premier League starts, I think it's sort of questionable. Do you try to rehabilitate his value playing him in the Cups and using him occasionally in the league, and maybe he starts to break out and he earns more starts? Uh, it's not clear to me. So what do you think? Over or under 12.5, and and is this just a referendum on whether you think he's staying or not? Yeah, I'm I'm, not, I'm generally not sure if he's going to stay. Um, I look at him playing style, and I've had a little look at the recent videos. It's just a reminder... He has that tendency to be a all about him type player, and I keep coming back to that. I don't. I look at that and I think I'm not sure that works anymore. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It's one, two touches, move it. It's all about him. Can I have it? Fifteen touches. Can I feel myself? Can I get a foul from the referee? Do you know what I mean? I'm not sure about that. I'm not sure, but he can play, and I feel there's a lot there. So I think if he stays, I'm with Tim on this one. It'll be lower, and I think. Four deep line CMs for two positions. Get rid of El Nini. That's not the worst thing in the world. Mm. Build his value and then go again. Yeah, the funny thing is I could see him staying, which I think... So it's hard, right? Because next year he goes into the last year of his deal. So the irony is we're saying, well, we shouldn't sell him for cheap this summer. Well, if he stays and he's not a big part of the plan and then he's going into the last year of his deal next year, do we have better leverage next summer? Probably not. I think we weirdly have a lot of leverage with him right now, only in the sense that... He's young. He captained France's youth team, but does he want to step up and be a full France international? Does he have a big career ahead of him? Well, if he does, 
you can't sit out the entirety of your 21-year-old season, right? Your 20, 21-year-old season, having sat out the end of your 20-year-old season. And so I think he's got a lot of incentive to have to win a place back and start playing. But will he get frustrated if he doesn't get that place back right away and start playing and then just default to this attitude issue? I could see this being under because I could see him coming back into the team, starting to play, maybe being frustrated with how the playing time works out, and then things get off the rails again. I'm not totally sure. I think it's, I think it could be an up and down tumultuous kind of season with Ganduzi, but I think he will ultimately stay uh, and probably go next summer. So, moving on, Pepe. You remember him? Paid some good money for Pepe. Finished the season strong. Wouldn't say that we got necessarily the full season from him that we were hoping. And now William comes in. Uh, maybe to play from the left with Pepe playing from the right. What does that do for Saka? What does that do for Nelson? Do these players get loaned out? Well, the question that I must ask so we can move this along is Pepe goals. I have this set at 11.5. Paul, Pepe goals over or under 11.5? Under. Mm. Under 11.5. Okay. Yeah. I mean, sense? even at, uh, yeah, even at Lille, uh, I think it was marginally around 11 a level, sorry, 11 goal level um, if you subtract penos. So uh, that was playing every game uh, from that side. So uh, I can see him playing more of a creative role. I can see him getting up towards 11 goals, but not quite. Mm, Okay. Um, I guess he's a player where goals plus assists might be more relevant, but we agreed ahead of time not to really get into that. Tim, do you have a a, a sense over under 11.5 and maybe should this have been one where goals plus assists is the best, is the best metric? Yeah, possibly. I, I think just under, not least because he he's not the penalty taker. Um, and with Willian, well, I, I guess actually with free kicks and look, I know like you only get one, two free kick goals a season, but um, I guess he monopolizes the left-footed free kicks, but nevertheless, I, I probably see him at about the nine, 10 goals. Um, but really, I, I think most of his value, the way, the way our front line works really is basically everyone shills for Aubameyang. Um, I think that's the way it goes. And Pepe and Aubameyang have built a really, really good partnership as well. Um, and, and I kind of, I see that continuing, but um, yeah, I really I see Pepe, Willian, probably Lacazette if he stays as as guys who set a Bamiang up. So I'm I'm going to say under. Mm. Yeah, I guess. What is the dream season, right, Clive? I mean, is the dream season 14, 15 goals from Pepe, or is the dream season nine goals from Pepe, but 10, 11 assists? And he, you know, he's putting it on a plate for Aubameyang, who's playing through the middle. I mean, I I think you could make an argument that. There's a scenario where Pepe doesn't score a lot of goals but has a dominant season by virtue of really hitting his stride as a creator. I mean, especially if he starts to drift central more and is playing those slip balls in behind to a Willian, to an Aubameyang, that could be more of the role for him. Where do you see that landing in terms of over under 11 and a half? Yeah, I'm almost part of the team agreeing there, just a little bit under. But I do feel, I want to say over because I want him to have a breakout season. I, I, I really like the player and how he plays. Just how he carries himself on the pitch. I just think he has got superstar talent in there. But you, there's a bit of you that says, I'm just not quite sure. You know what I mean? I'm not sure on his consistent influence and you know, how he implements his style in our team. But I really like him. So I want to say breakout more than that. But he, does, he can still do 
similar to what you said there with the assists and uh, goals and, and still have a breakout season. So if he does that, we then come to an ad. Saka improves. Ramiang does his thing to the same standard. We're going to be in a better place. I think the William numbers are an increase in Pepe is what I'm looking for this year to get us that 10 or so more goals that I'm sure I said yesterday or the day before. Yeah, I think the thing that's hard with getting him to over 11.5 is I think there's going to be a lot of rotation across that front three in terms of, you know, Saka will get some time on the right, William will play a little on the right and left, Aubameyang will play wide, maybe play through the middle a little. If Lacazette stays, you know, he's going to be in the front three, and Ketty will certainly start a bit. Um, and, and so even as much as Pepe is an integral part of the team, you could still see him... It being a season where every time the lineup comes out, uh, people are going, oh, why didn't this guy start? And it'll be, so you know, uh, William didn't start. What's Arteta doing? Oh, Pepe didn't start. There could be a lot of that this season, just because especially if we play with the back three, there's really three guys for three, uh, there's three slots, and there's probably like five or six guys to fill those slots. So we'll have to see um, how it plays out. I will go, I'm going to, I'm going to say under two. I I could see this being like a 10-goal, 10-assist season for Pepe, though, and one where we're probably hotly debating whether he had a great season or not at the end of it because I think when he runs hot, he he's a player that's impossible to stop, and when it's not coming off for him, he's a very frustrating player, sort of like Alexis, just at a lower level. You know what I mean? When it wasn't coming off for Alexis, it was, oh, he's greedy, he doesn't give the ball, he gives it away too much, but when it was working for Alexis, my goodness, it was something special. And I think Pepe has a little of that individuality to his game that can work and look amazing or not work and be very frustrating. So I could see it breaking down that way. I do want to make a point for those of you watching the video over on Patreon. Tim gave the game away and he shouldn't have done it. I made the point the other day that what's great about doing the video recording is that it means that none of us are on Twitter, on social media, checking our phone. We're more engaged with each other. And I noticed Tim just kind of really intently listening with his eyes sort of down. But what I know now (laughs) is that what he's done is he's taken the phone. He's got it right here. Oh, no. No Uh, phone. (laughs) I thought I had caught you. It's a whole other level of performance from Tim today. He's he's like engaged. (laughs) It's like, remember early season Pepe? Mm-hmm. Early season Pepe and then later season Pepe. Tim's tracking back. He's he's covering <laughs> the he's so you, covering Tim, space. You were do, you were trying just trying to to be the praying mantis like like Paul and soak it all in. I appreciate that. Okay. Yeah. So, yeah. So let, all right, let's move on to the next section. Um, so that this is not a five part series and we're getting close to that. So let's try to zip through these a little more. Ainsley Maitland Niles starts. Uh, I've got this pretty big, you guys. Um, I set it at twenty point five league starts, and I'm actually gonna go. Over and I'll explain that in a little bit, but Paul, um, 20.5 league starts. What do you think for Ainsley Maitland Niles? So let us assume that Hector leaves, um, uh, and that uh, Arteta isn't as high on, on Cedric as he once implied with his he can do things other people can't do in the final third. Um, yeah, it'd be over. 20.5. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Well, so think about this for a second. Let's say he just starts all the big games, that we play this back three formation and he plays the big games because he's been so good at it. Two against City, two against United, two against Chelsea, two against maybe Spurs if you want to consider them big team. I tend not to. Two against Liverpool. That's 10 games right there that he could start just to sort of keep with what's worked in big games. What if Kolasinac goes, which we think he will? Does Tierney play a full season? I, I hope so. I think our... Hopes kind of hinge on having him available all season, but 
He's broken down in the past. Maybe he misses a few games and Maitland Niles has to sort of play over on that side. Um, does Bellerin go? Obviously, if Bellerin goes and Cedric isn't impressive, Maitland Niles could start a bunch on the right. Does he get two or three starts or one start even in the midfield at some point? I just think his versatility combined with covering a little if Tierney's out, playing a lot on the right and playing the big games gives him enough paths to playing time that he's going to start an awful lot. And some of that is predicated on my opinion of Cedric, which I won't give because I've been very uh, not not forthcoming with respect to how I feel about that player and that move. So I'm going to stick with that. I, I can't imagine he'd stay. He can't be guaranteed starts, but unless it was explained to him how he's a starter this season, apart from, hey, you can get in there and compete. I don't know why he stays. Well, that yeah, that's another great point. I mean, if he's staying, it's presumably because the, the path to playing time is substantial. Now, it could also be in the Europa League, the FA Cup, the League Cup, but we'll see. Okay, so, uh, Clive, what do you think? Your boy, your boy Maitland-Niles, is he going to start over or under 20.5 Premier League? Starts a lot of playing time. Yeah, I think he will be just over, but I'm still not convinced that story's told yet. It could change in, a, in, terms in just of the staying, size of mean? an offer. Yeah, it could can, change. Can I ask you a question? If, if, Wolves, if he goes, yeah. do you think he'll play over or under 20.5 games for us? If he if he's sold? Under? <laughs> no, 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 yeah, I'm done. You're like, what are you talking and about? I, You're an I idiot. Think... Everyone can see you rolling your eyes in the video. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, I forget. Sorry. <laughs> like, um, the thing is, right, for all of this, we have to change our mindset a little bit because we always have the crazy one hour before kickoff when the team gets selected, right? Because we all go mental, because that's what we do. But I think this year, more than ever, is going to be rotation massively. And I think because we're literally got a compressed season, yeah. we have got the same amount of games in like six, five, six weeks less time. And not and the five subs, by the way, Clive, right? So it, and not the five it subs. harder to keep people fresh, yeah. So we have to get really comfortable with rotation. And I do think the back three gives us the base from which to play from, and rotation ahead of that. I think that's the smartest way to go into this season this year, get some stability and some points accumulation just by having a strong system. And it's interesting they've kept holding him behind a little bit longer. Maybe he may go. Dave Louise injury. He's got a situation with Pablo Marie. We don't know when he's quite coming back. So that all sort of makes sense. Karen Chambers just come back. But you know what? We've, we've had this big, lumpy squad, but oh yeah, mate, it, we could end up using quite a lot of it just on based on the games we're going to have. And the good thing is, with the players that have we've all seen, and we called uncoachable, they've reached a coachable level where we're a bit more comfortable with a few of the ones that we dismissed before. So it's going to be interesting. I, I do think us being comfortable with rotation, getting that right, is going to be a big part of the uh, season. Yeah, yeah, I, I think that's right. And I mean, it's it it is tricky in a way because a lot of these predictions are based on transfer moves that we think we know how they're leaning, but they can take a very late shift. I mean, Hector Bellerin staying would influence this. Maitland-Niles going, as I tried to joke, would influence Maitland-Niles starts for Arsenal. Um, I do want to point out for those of you who are not seeing the video, a lot of negative feedback on Clive's bookshelf placement. Apparently, Clive's bookshelf is in front of either a door or a window. Uh, do you use that to barricade people you've trapped in your home from getting out? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's just a door. But I thought rather than yeah. sort of like leave it as a door, I put mm. the same sort of blinds I have over the window, mm. which over my shoulders. It sort of makes sense. So he's the, coaching it instead of being a door to be a window. That's it, how, it had all Clive's the makings of being a wall. It just needed yeah. a bookshelf in front of it to get it from door to wall it, status. And Clive is coaching it up. I like it. Okay. Um, enough banter. We've got to really move on. Gabriel starts 10.5, Tim, over under. 
Wait, uh, I, 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 sorry, did I? Sk- I skipped you on Maitland Niles. You did. Oh, I'll okay. say over because if he stays, I think he'll be broadly first choice and Cedric will play against the kind of bottom seven or eight at home. What have you um, lot got against Cedric? Uh, <laughs> I tell you. Honest, honestly, I don't have anything and I'm not on record at all as having any problems with him. Okay, no, I, I, I think Arteta likes him and Arteta will use him. Um, but I, I just have Maitland Niles, maybe at just over and for the reasons Elliot said as well, because he can play in other positions. Uh, Gabriel, Gabriel 10.5. Yep. Yeah, over, over. I think um, he's 22, so while not completely um, oven ready, uh, to borrow a phrase from my beloved government, um, he, he he should be, you know, a bit close to ready. Like physically, he's all there. He's a big guy. Like I don't think we really have to worry about that too much. So I, I think he'll come in pretty quickly, to be honest. And with the injuries we have back there with like Mary, he, he really wants a left footer, I think. Arteta, that's really clear. You know, it looks like Louise is injured, Chambers is injured. So I think he'll go straight in um, on Saturday. And, you know, from there, when you pay 27 million for a guy and you kind of have to put him straight in, you'd kind of hope that he has enough about him to stay there. So, uh, yeah, I'd, I'd say comfortably over 10.5. Mm. Paul, you disagree, right? No, no, no. I over? think 10.5 is a, a, an easy enough number for him to hit. Uh, I agree with everything Tim said, as always. Mm. Clive? Um, oh, sorry. Mm-hmm. <laughs> sorry, I, I thought had you an, wanted had a bit of wisdom with my answer. Okay, mm-hmm. go on, Clive. Go on, Clive. Over on. Well, I, I agree with what Paul says. <laughs> All right. <laughs> I think uh, <laughs> just, just um, yeah, over. I, I really like the, the, the idea of this player and his YouTube highlights are just wonderful. And You're going to get it in the neck for that, in, my friend. I don't care. <laughs> what he does, you've got to know how to look at it. And I'll tell you, what he does in one-on-ones, I like. He's very sharp-footed. Yeah, I really like him. Really like him. So, Someone stuck a, step on a duck. Did I hear like a, a massive fart? Did the mic pick? <laughs> no, I don't see it on anyone's <laughs> face. I'm scanning. Someone did it. Uh, I'll own it. I'll do the decent thing and step forward. <laughs> you know those stories about the priest in the in the internment camp, and he steps forward to save the the mother and the child, and he says, I'll die with your Nazi bullets. Well, I will step <laughs> forward, and I will own that fart. Okay, but no one's going to kill you for it, buddy, because we can't smell it because we're not in person. Um, All right, so, Clive, I'll stick with you then. If you think uh, he's going over, and I think Gabriel will go just under 10.5 starts, I think about 10 starts this season, uh, it's partly because I actually have higher hopes for Saliba, who I think will surprisingly, at 19 do the rare thing and go over 10.5 starts for Saliba. So, Clive, what do you think with Saliba? Over or under 10.5 starts? Yeah, over. Um, okay. A lot depends on what happens with Mustafi because he's really the Mustafi takeout. Mm-hmm. Does, I'm not sure that's a good way to frame him, but um, but he's that right-sided centre-back, isn't he? So that's that situation sorted out. Um, he's no normal 19-year-old. You know, he, he doesn't look like a 19-year-old. He literally bestrides the, the environment. He's just incredible looking at him. He, he, this is hope he stays fit. Yeah. That's a key thing with a big body like that. If he stays fit, we've got some player on our hands. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I don't think both Gabriel and Saliba can go over because I think Louise will start a lot. I think when Mustafi comes back crazily, he, he might start a bit. Marie will start. Tierney has been playing as left center back. He's been doing it really well. I think we should rule him out at our, as our at our peril in terms of being an option there. Um, you know, I, I also sort of wonder 
if um, I think Saliba shows up actually weirdly a little more ready uh, in terms of playing out from the back and his passing, at least the way it's been reported. So we'll see. Um, Tim Saliba over under 10.5. I think over um, as well. I think so. Again, there's there's just lots of injuries back there. I think I have a hunch that the plan will be uh, broadly for Gabriel Saliba, Louise in a back three. Let Louise kind of coach them for a little bit, and then mm. gradually move away from David Louise. And uh, and how and it, I think it's clear that the the plan, the long term plan, is for Gabriel and Saliba to be the centre back partnership. Um, I agree one with of that the things the plan, as well. Yeah, long term, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And and I think one of the things that's really interesting as well, I went back and read a couple of profiles of um, both Gabriel and Saliba um, from Phil Costa um, on Arsblog. And, and, and they're a year apart, these profiles, but they actually, from what he was saying, they actually sound really, really similar in terms of build up. No, uh, he was writing that like St. Etienne and Lille like to build through the wide areas. They don't go through the center. And both of these players have a really good like whipped diagonal pass. Mm. Uh, which Pablo Marie has as well. Um, and therefore, I think Arteta is buying very specific types of centre-half. We know David Luiz can do that as well. And I th- I think that's going to count for a lot. I think these are, whether they're ready or not, or completely ready, they are the style of centre-half that Arteta wants. And I think that will count for a lot. Yeah, and, and yeah, I could be wrong. I I, my, yeah, yeah absolutely. Kyle. I was just going to say super quick. I think one of them will play a lot and the other may play a little less than we expect and be more relegated to cups and, and integrating that way. I think it's going to be the Saliba option who who gets the majority of, of starts, but I don't think both of them will get over that 10.5. Clive, go ahead. I just think there'll be a junior player and a senior player in the partnership. And so David Louise spoke last year about moving to the right-hand side mm-hmm. very easily, which I think he'll do. And I think this, which the reason why I put my hand up was Tim nailed it with the Diags. I think David Louise will be diagging from the right-hand side. And obviously, Marie and, and uh, Gabriel are doing it from the left-hand side. Mm. Saliba progresses the ball. He drives. He's not really a diagonal, but he drives out of his hole and, in, and he makes people commit to him. I think it's going to be a Marie as an experienced player with a, with, with a Saliba, for example, and David Louise with a Gabriel. I also think Marie can play in the centre of a three. I'd like to see that because I think he's got real stature for that. And that'll be also another option. So it's very interesting. I saw, I've been a bit geeky, right? But I saw David Louise's picture today at the training. And he was sitting down with um, with Gabriel. And they had the flat disc laid out and he was coaching him. And it was laid out in a in a back three. And he was pointing and pointing at this. I just thought that was really interesting. Hmm. I do see the back three staying around. And why wouldn't it? Why we settle them in? And why we develop ahead of the ball? And it works it will help us away from home I just would be pleased to see that for a little while longer but maybe next year we're going to get your dream earlier of between the line number 10s turning around yeah there we go it's big boy football <laughs> um, Paul real quick over under Saliba 10.5 uh, over okay I think the uh, I think what the mistake I've made with Arteta is maybe discounting just how important specificity is to him uh, for the reasons we just talked about, I think he has a very clear view. Like this is his shiny new car this season. He's going to want it to play in a very specific way, and there's going to be change. He's going to want uh, he's want to, going to want to get Saliba in there, though Saliba hasn't played a full season anywhere yet, even if you add up all his games. So 
but he'll he'll get a reasonable number because that's uh, obviously a player who you've got to say must fit his style. The same with Gabriel coming on the left. Uh, when I talk about the specificity thing, I think I underestimated just how much uh, Arteta likes a left-sided player on the left. And the reason he pushed Chaka into that left-back position very often or right back there was a little less to protect Chaka than I thought and a hell of a lot more about having left-footed players on that side. So he's going to want Tierney up on that left wing there, left wing back or whatever with a left-sided uh, center back over there and he's going to want that symmetry where yes he's playing around the edges or through the middle that thing where Maitland Niles moved into the center or he had Saka moving into the center I don't know that we're going to get that exciting 8-10 player but he's going to start uh, maybe doubling down on kind of the the way we played this year but with better players more specificity wouldn't be surprised if we see a lot of back three uh, there he'll just have much better players playing it so that he's got options on both sides instead of, you know, we generally played out from one side mm. and attacked from one side. So I yeah. think he's just going to want much more symmetry, much more balance and having players with, the right, I mean, you could have a left-sided centre-back, Tierney and Chak on one side, all left-footers and right-footers on the other side. And there's just going to be a much greater dose of symmetry there. Yeah, I, look... It's a simple case of determining like what our formation is going to be, and I think if we all agree that the back three is how we might start, and if we think that I don't look, I don't think Tierney playing left center back is his first choice, right? I don't think that's what he would have done if he had other center backs available. I do think David Luiz is going to play a lot. I just between Tierney playing it a bit and Mustafi playing a bit and Pablo Marie playing a bit. Trying to get both Gabrielle and Saliba to over 10.5 I think is tricky. And I think the one who's ahead of the other is actually Saliba, even though he's not ahead in age. So we'll um we'll have to see how that pans out. So let's go um let's go rapid fire here so we can get to the last ones before we run out of time, because I think we're gonna lose you, Paul. Isn't that right? And we, mm-hmm. we need to get you on record for this stuff. So yeah. uh so let's just zip through real quick. Inkedia starts, Inkedia goals. Clive, real quick, Inkedia, 14.5 starts and 7.5 goals. Um, just under on starts mm-hmm. and just under on goals. Just under on both. That's, that's, yeah, I'm just looking at that with the current incumbents mm-hmm. in place. If that was to change, I think... That boy is growing. He's growing as a man. He's physically moving people around, and he's starting to make that step. You know, and I think it's going to be—he's going to be a very interesting player this season. It's really tricky, right? Because we're assuming Lacazette goes, but I don't think it's guaranteed. Even if he does go, Aubameyang, Willian, Pepe, Saka, and Kedia—I'm not sure I'm forgetting anybody who's really in the conversation at that point. But even with that group. You'd have to think that Aubameyang, Pepe, Willian, and Saka are all players he would like to get on the pitch maybe before he'd want to get Nketiah on the pitch. Um, But he's shown that he's willing to sort of force him in there. I think I'm going to assume Lacazette goes. And as a result, I think he will get just over 14.5 starts. And I think, you know... 
it's funny because he's a player that I've said I'm not sure he's Arsenal quality, but can he get to eight goals starting 15 games and maybe coming on for 10 others in appearance? I think he can. So I'll say just over, and I'll say he does get to eight goals. Um, and for starts, I, you know, I, I could see him getting 15, and I'm not saying that I necessarily want it to get to that level, but I could see it getting there. Tim, what about you? What do you see in terms of 14.5 starts and 7.5 goals for Nketiah? Um, under on starts, um, yeah, I, I just think unless there's a long-term injury in there, um, he might start the odd game. I don't think he'll start, you know, that's over one-third of the league games. I don't see that. If, if Lacazette um, goes, you don't see it? or or it, Closer, closer mm-hmm. if Lacazette goes, but I still, not unless Aubameyang gets injured. Okay. Um, as for goals, I think just under. I think all competitions, he can go double figures because I'm sure he'll play a lot of cup football. Yeah. Um, but Premier League, I see about six or seven, maybe. Okay, Paul, so, uh, let me give you the numbers again. 14.5 starts, 7.5 goals. I'd probably go under, but fuck it. Um, so, so over. Let's that. assume, <laughs> Lac- yeah. Uh, let's assume Lac- Lacazette goes because it seems like it's been itching, even if there isn't a deal in place. Um, and I think Eddie's going to be stronger this year. I think he's pretty. We haven't seen the better Eddie, the goal-scoring Eddie, because he's been working his ass off, and I think his. His maturing will be when he can pull the two things together, where he can be cool in the box, having been grafting for 85 minutes on the pitch to make it work for everybody else. And I think he'll start to do that this year. I think he'll mature into that. And he's really good when he goes into the box and around the six-yard box. So I think Lacazette goes, he gets his 14 and a half starts because Aubameyang from the left is still Arteta's preference. Um, And he'll get... Yeah, he'll get his goals if he gets his starts. He finished on 3.2 expected goals this season, had two goals in the league with 13 matches played, seven starts. Interestingly, he was 0.46 XG90. It's almost about half a goal a game per 90. Uh, half a goal per 90. So if he started it, you know, 10 games, that's five goals right there. He can't get three more with a bunch of sub appearances. I think he gets there, Clive, real quick because we're going to lose Paul and not get through. Only this, because so. only thing I'd say is from chance creation, we're not the best, right? So, That's a good point. and I just think we need to we need to improve that, and then we will be able to judge Eddie and others a little bit more. We're just and, lucky that our and main he'll man, spend more time threatening the six yard area when we start getting cut back. To get, get closer to the William. goal. Yep. Yeah. Oh, okay. Rather two quick ones. Water carrier, I think he'll be a, a center forward for us now. That's going to be yep. an interesting um, dilemma next year. Clive, super quick. Uh, Saka goals eight point five. Um, just under because I think he can spend a lot of time playing in midfield. Mm. Okay, Tim. Yeah, 8.5. just under. I, mm-hmm. I'd have him seven or eight goals. Uh, yeah, same reason. I think he might play a bit of left wing back as well. Mm-hmm. Paul, under. Um, I hope he gets plenty of time in midfield. I struggle to see how he gets on the pitch to some degree. As much as we want, it might be one of those correction years where he kind of it feels like he takes a step back because he just doesn't get the game time and and the the path onto the into the first 11 isn't as as clear and he's been moved around between three different positions mm. interestingly not a goal scorer this season i mean one goal but on uh 1.3 expected goals 0.07 xg 90 but a big assist guy right uh five assists this season 
And, uh, you know, I, I think that, that his contribution is, is still setting them up. But I got a weird feeling that he's going to push this close. I, I just think he's a player who has so much talent. If he gets to play on the wing, and if Aubameyang plays central and defenses have to key on him a bit, learning from Willian, learn, you know, learning to be a little bit more uh, direct, he certainly has the ability to finish, you know, as, as an inverted And he doesn't winger. take any bad shots, right? When he takes a sh- like he hit the crossbar that time, you know, all, he doesn't sky anything. He doesn't, you don't say, why did he take that shot? If he takes a shot, he threatens the goals, so. I'm going to say he gets to nine goals. Like something, something really nice, like nine goals, nine assists on the season. A big breakout season for him, um, you know, without setting the world on fire. Uh, some of it, though, depends on path to playing time. So, Paul, I'll stick with you for a second. Willick, we had we had to do Willick. We had to revisit this. I know he forty four appearances, 44 as many appearances. appearances as any other player, including Obama Young. So Incredible. let's do starts. Joe Willick, six point five starts in the Premier League. Under <laughs> there you go. Yeah, <laughs> uh, I'm not even going to ask you why, Clive. Joe Willick, six point five starts. Over. Okay, that's not a good. We're going to need him. We're going to need <laughs> these boys. Yeah, stop it. I'm kidding. I'm, Neil I, Smith uh, Rowe is going to take a lot of The player is just developing. Mm-hmm. Let's just see. I think the most important thing for him this season is not how many starts, it's just where he starts. I think it's time to stop being pushed around like a little child and on right wing and number 10 and deep. With, how about say, hold on, coach. I need to be I need to be something because people like Elliot are giving me a kick in. They don't know what I am. They're not sure if I'm a Ramsey, an Ozil, or a deep line midfielder. So we need to, I want to get myself fixed. I think that's what Maitland Niles is screaming about. He said, I'm not a defender. That's what he said. He didn't tell me I want to play there. I'm being criticised as a defender and I'm not a defender. Now you're a progressive go forward player. We all look at him differently because actually his number one skill is defending actually one-on-one. But hey, he needed to grow up and he's learned what he is and now he's developing and now he's made his England debut. That work can change his story real quick. I agree. Look, he's got some metrics that are really interesting and some some skills that very few other players in our team have. He is the rare central midfielder in our team who will get in the box and get in a position to score goals, who will drive past a man and bring it in the final third. The final ball is a hard thing. Is he sort of an Alex Awobi in a way, just in the sense that he has some things he does really well, progressing the ball, getting through the thirds, and arriving in the final third? Is he ever going to get that last bit right? I think he maybe has more end product than Nwobi did, and he plays a slightly different position. I um, I will say this. I think he will play a lot. I don't think he will start a lot, given the formations and the options. But if he can start putting it together in the final third, and if Arteta gives him a more attacking role, yeah, I think he could have a big, a big role to play yeah. in our season while going under those six point five starts. Tim, super quick, under or over? Uh, under. Um, I I don't. Uh, I think we're going to sign another midfielder. And in the current system of two central midfielders, I don't see a space for him there. I don't think Arteta trusts him in that too. So, um, yeah, lots of appearances, lots of starts in the cups, lots of coming on as a sub, but under six point five Premier League starts for me. Undeniably has some talents that are in rare supply in midfield, but in a very tricky situation in terms of a path to a lot of playing time from the start anyway. Um, so, Paul, here's and what I'll I do. I think since- a lot of his sub appearances, he's going to have to battle Emil Smith-Rowe, who can yep. do the job he was asked to do in the last 10, 15 minutes too, in, in many instances. And he looks like he's sticking around. And he can threaten the final third. Mm. Um, so he'll be a tasty option. 
yeah, I mean, his his performance in the Community Shield, probably the best I've seen from him in a long time, and that kind of attacking dy- dynamism he brings is good. Let, let's do this because we're going to lose Paul in three minutes, so we'll do this. Paul, I'll just let you pick these real quick so we get you on record and we have this done. Yep. Who's your player of the season? Um, uh, uh, ah, fuck it. Uh, Danny Sabias. Ooh, interesting. Okay. Um, most improved. Uh, also Danny Ceballos <laughs> Emil Smithrow okay breakout player the player who sort of from not being as in, someone who's who bursts onto the scene in a way that maybe we weren't you know we, we didn't see or you will see it because you're saying it so a player who you see breaking out this season. Emil Smith-Rowe, and I'll put Maitland-Niles for the previous choice. I of... like that, for most improved. Okay, and then finally, yeah. uh, of our season, hopefully there won't be one. Who is the villain of our season? Ah, sure. Uh, I mean, he's won it three years in a row. I think he'll go for a fourth. Mesut Ozil. Oh, God. Okay. All right, Ozil it is. Uh, Paul, you can find him on Twitter. Pause my pants. Thanks, buddy. Woohoo! Woohoo, indeed. And with that, Paul is gone. Yes, goodbye. Paul is gone. Uh, It is just the three of us now, um, which means all of our faces just got bigger on the screen, and it's it's weirding me out, guys. All right, so let's move through these a a little more um, methodically now that we have just a bit of extra time. Tim, who is your player of the season? Uh, I'm going to be really boring and say (laughs) Aubameyang, but I I tell you what, I'll, I'll be... If we're talking about like the Arsenal.com player of the season, which is voted for by the fans, I think it'll be Kieran Tierney. Um, so who do you yeah. want to be down as your pick? Aubameyang. Okay. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, it, it's an easy choice, right? Like, because the guy who bangs in all the goals can yep. can be your player of the season. And, and I think, let, let's be honest, the fact that Lacazette was chosen as our player of the season the season before is kind of silly but it's to your point that it is uh, in a fan vote it doesn't always reflect necessarily the output um in the most in the most accurate way clive how do you how do you see it who's our player of the season for you i can't look beyond uh Aubameyang, to be honest and i'll be happy if that is the case um i just like everything that he represents on the football pitch i think he's so positive i think he has such a positive influence and if he is player of the season that is a good thing that's a good thing for the club yeah, I, look, I got to pick Oba too. I know it's super boring, but I, it is it is quite simply a guy who, whatever Cliff might be coming from at some point, it doesn't seem like it's coming from right now. And he's scoring goals of increasingly spectacular quality. I think the warning signs are certainly that his XG and XG90 are down, but I think that's also a byproduct of playing in a position where he's further from the goal in a team that didn't create a lot of chances. I think there'll be more opportunities for him to get closer to goal, and there are more players who can create chances in the side now. Um, Ceballos is growing into the game maybe a little more creative William sort of adds that uh, Saka growing into it Pepe getting better I, I just think you know an- another few months under Arteta maybe the attack will start to click and uh, and that can mean more chances and and I just think another spectacular season from Aubameyang so I definitely see it that way as well um, how about your most improved player Clive who's going to be better than they were hmm <laughs> I actually think it's going to be Saka. Mm, okay, that would be big. I think 
I just think he has just got this thing in football where he just makes the right decision consistently. And I think he's shown that at 18, 19. And I just think that's got huge potential, you know, huge potential to see someone play like that. And I just think he's starting to impress people in a different way. We lost him towards the end of last season because I think he was injured. He played that community shield and he played that just like jogging against Liverpool. And he was just like easy. Until he ran out of energy, like everyone did in the second half. That's a real signal. That is a real signal. And I think he's going to be special this year. Yeah, I mean, he he definitely is the guy that if we're going to do something special, th- this is the thing about improving a team. We've talked about this in years past, but like one way you can make the team better is signing players. Another way you can make the team better is by the players in the team being better. And when you have 18-year-olds, 19-year-olds, 20-year-olds, they don't improve incrementally. They improve exponentially, right? Sometimes they don't improve at all. Um, those of you watching the video, I'm making neat little algorithmic curve signs with my uh, fake pen here. But uh, Tim, uh, my ridiculousness aside, who is your most improved player coming this season? I'm going to say Pepe. Oh, um, Son of a... <laughs> and, uh, I should have yeah. thought that. <laughs> <laughs> and and I'm going to say like Pepe an, an improvement on last season which is not necessarily to say I think he's going to be like you know Iron Robin or anything like that but I, I think we'll see more consistent end product from him I think the signing of Willian might help that along a little bit that just gives a little bit of proper competition um, in there as well but I, I do kind of think that towards the end of last season we we cracked how to use him mm. and I just I can't see us going back to you know that having him out on the touchline dribbling inside on his left foot into traffic I, I just can't see us doing that again and uh, if we give him a run in that inside forward position the link up with Aubameyang, um is uh, like when you look back, you won't believe how many goals they've linked up for, um, you know, since Christmas, like good six or seven. Um, and so, yeah, I, I, I think I think Pepe, I think Willian's arrival might um, light a little bit of a fire. Um, and, and uh, you know, it, it still might be that Willian plays on the left and Aubameyang plays up front. Um, so he, he might have a bit more to play with. So Pepe for me. Yeah, I mean, Pepe is a player that, that is easy to pick here because I think we saw signs of a special player in there, but it was a little bit more muted than we hoped. So if if he just plays a little more and can drift... One of the big problems I had with the way Pepe was used under Arteta when he started and the way he was used under Emery is he was hugging the touchline. And I think all of us agree that he's not a typical winger who's supposed to hug the touchline and whip in crosses. He wants to get on the left foot. He's an inverted winger. He is an Iron, Iron Robin type in terms of where he wants to operate. We started to give him license to do that later in the season and in the cup, and he, and he excelled at it. I think he'll have more of that kind of role. He even played a little on the left at times during the games, you guys. like They would switch sides. Uh, periodically, Aubameyang and Pepe switched sides a couple of times late in the season. Maybe we'll see a little more of that, giving Pepe a chance to change the angles and work on a different defender. I think Arteta's starting to understand how to use this player. The player's integrated better, and so I could see him improving. And to your point, Tim, maybe not becoming you know a 20-goal, 10-assist superstar, but improving to the point where we're getting the kind of contribution where his price tag isn't the first thing mentioned about him when we're having a conversation about him. You um, think in a 4-2-3-1, he could play the stick on number 10 inside, will to the right, 
and a Bamiyang up front and maybe a Saka to the left. Do you, do you see that? Vision? The only reason I don't is really is just because I think in modern football, that player is box to box. That player comes deeper to receive and picks it up deeper and drops into a line of three in front of the back four at times. And I mean, it, it really depends how dominant we are in possession and how much time. I mean, against smaller teams, yeah, I think he could. Mm. Because if we're if we're holding the ball well and we're pushing teams back, I'd love him between the lines there right in front of a, a front three. Um if if we're playing more in transition and we're not able to control the game as much, then it's a different situation. I mean, Tim, what do you think about that? You think Pepe can play like truly in in, in the in the a three man midfield? I'm oh, sorry, mate. I mean, um, like truly oh, as a number sorry, ten, like one, yes, tra- ten and a fourteen. Yeah. Yeah. One, yeah, sorry. Yeah, yeah. Again, interestingly, Lille and Saint Etienne uh, kind of played a four two three one. Um, and yeah, yeah, yeah. I definitely could see that. I think what's interesting about our front line now is um, Lacazette is the only one who it's like, he's number nine and that's it. Like you put him number nine, um, which I, I don't mean to be pejorative when I say that because he does a lot of good work there. But I think Willian, Abamyang, Pepe, there's just so much rotational um, kind of potential there uh, when you've got uh, both within like just them swapping flanks and things like that. But even within moves, there's just so much kind of, there's there's a lot more fluidity in there. I think Arsenal's, attack has been a bit too rigid um, at times. So I, I could definitely see that. I still think he'll start majority kind of as that inside forward and he'll float infield. Um, but yeah, I could I could definitely see him doing that. You know, the thing for me with Pepe is, I think in the center of the pitch, you want someone who gives the ball quickly, who can go to either side. Uh, Pepe strikes me as a guy you want to isolate on one defender, right? Because he's not going to give the ball as quickly. You want him to create space for other players to run into. You want him to beat a guy and go to the the, the byline if he needs to. But like, you know, Clive, for me, when I think of, of a guy in the middle of the pitch, I want to give it quickly, who can who can play one-touch football, give a wall pass and run behind, you know, do some of the things that Aaron Ramsey did or, you know, some of the things that a David Silva does. Pepe, I want isolate. I want one guy picking him up, having to deal with him in space. And I don't know that you get that from the middle. Do you You disagree a little bit, I assume? I don't disagree. Let's give another scenario. I mean, if you have him in the center of the pitch, he can, he has got the ability to go both ways. And um, good luck trying to guess which way he's going to go. Mm, yeah. But also, when he's receiving the ball there, that's in prime free kick land. Right? So on the outside, you can just smash him like, uh, like people did. I remember the guy at West Ham smashing him. You can smash him out there and give him a free kick away and go to the ref. Sorry, it's my first one. Don't get yellow card. You smash someone central. Problem. Yellow card. Breaking towards goal. Free kick specialist. It creates a different problem and maybe he's going to get more touches. And I think it's going to be interesting. I didn't think Willan would play right. I just always thought he'd play um, left. You have, your, you have your team in your mind. But I'm starting to think about him as a 10 and being free. And I always remember the video I've watched when he was at Lille. Free creator, get him on the ball, put him in dangerous areas. He knows when to release it, gets it back. His shooting is incredible. I wonder if we're going to just unlock him in that number 10 role mm. when we're at home in particular. Yeah, I mean, what what was it? Was it against, was it against Chelsea in the fight? Who, who, where he just smacked it in? Who, who, yeah, what it was ruled it? out. It was yeah. ruled out for offside, but I mean, yeah. like, yeah, you don't mind him at the top of the box if he's if he's got a shot like that on him. I I definitely agree. I I still think that 
you know, I'd love Aubameyang Central and him on the right because he cuts in on that left foot, forces the central center back to come pick him up. And Obama, no one is more clever at then just timing a run into space. And how many times can you see Pepe getting around the first guy, getting around the second guy, center center back has to step up to him, and then he just a little slip ball in behind to Aubameyang who's in on goal. That's, that's how I would draw it up. Um, you know what I mean? I, I guess it sort of depends because you mentioned a 4-2-3-1. As long as we're in the, the back three... This doesn't really come into it as a discussion. Although yeah. if Lacazette's gone, he kind of played as our ten in the back three, right? I mean, he'd come really deep and facilitate. And was it was there a goal against City or something? The one where he he gets that little ball, slip ball inside from Tierney, and then turns yeah, and plays and then he in Pepe. It to Bellerin. Yeah, or Bellerin. Pardon me. Yeah, that's right. Um, so maybe maybe that is a Pepe role. I don't know. I guess it remains to be seen. But we're creating all of this, options, aren't we? We're creating yes. options. The fact we're having this discussion means. All these options are on the table. We don't take anything off. And we see the They're path. On the table. And it shows you why there's a path to him being the most improved player because if he's used in all these interesting ways and he can really bring out more of his talent, I just think he spent a l- way too much time last season on the touchline. And I think what we all agree is don't get the chalk on his boots. Like that's not that's not where you want him operating. So, all right. What um, we all agree is that Tim's selection was a really good one. <laughs> my selection. Again. I just shouldn't have gone to Tim first. My selection. Um, so I, I pick Pepe as well. Breakout player. I think most improved in breakout is a tough one to distinguish between, admittedly. But I, when I think of breakout player, I think of someone who goes from, you know, a relatively obscure level to, um, to no, that's not right. I, I think breakout. So let, let me explain the difference between the two categories so they make sense because I'm literally ad hoc trying to make sense of them. Most improved is someone who just goes from the level they were to a level that's higher. I think breakout player is someone whose contribution is big, is major, that they go on to do something in the team that is a story of the season. So Saka. <laughs> okay, Tim, year. is that is that you? Yeah, go for it. No, 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 no. Oh, last saying, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Last season, last Saka season, would be Saka. your archetypal breakout player absolutely yeah. or, or maybe even martinelli yeah well martinelli would have been yeah would have been a great shout too and the funny thing is like we kind of forget he exists i'd be really curious to know when he comes back what he's going to look like because if we get a martinelli back who's ready to pick up where he left off that'd be huge um and i think we've sort of just kind of forgotten that and it does also beg the question then whose minutes is he going to get that that will be a really interesting story to, to focus on in december so uh tim who's your breakout player uh, I think I'm going to go with Emil Smith Rowe as the breakout player. I, I watched a lot of, well, I say I watched a lot. I, I watched a bit of this guy in the under 18s a couple of years ago, and he was just, he was on that trajectory. He's getting Europa, Europa League starts and scoring in Europa League games. He just got an injury at a bad time. I think now, last year, he's had a year of, um, of you know, men's football um, with Huddersfield. And I think he's going to play Europa League games and I think he's going to he's going to score some goals in the group stage and I think he's going to put himself in the conversation uh, come New Year, particularly because it's the type of player we really don't have. Um, and I think there's a really big opportunity for him here, particularly and to swallow up someone like Reese Nelson, Joe Willock. He should be looking at those players and going, I'm better than them. I can take those minutes. Um, and yeah, I, I think that in the Europa League, we won't po- possibly won't play with that back three and he'll play as a bit more of a 10. And I think he'll do it really well. And probably about around Christmas, we'll be thinking, you know, is this something we should be looking at in the Premier League? So yeah, Smith Rowe for me. Yeah, I mean, I kind of thought about picking like a Saliba because I think one of Saliba or Gabriel, if they come in, they're big, 
They're strong. They're athletic. I mean, Saliba in particular, a really potentially dominant center forward who could come in and just make that position his from the word go and at 19 years old look like a superstar defender. It might be asking a bit too much. So I'm going to say Ceballos. Look, we may not have a breakout player, but just hear me out for a second. This is a guy who just turned 24. So he's just entering his prime. He finally started to show under Arteta in Project Restart after having, you know, he shows up at Arsenal. He's got Emery. It's a disaster. The team's a mess. You're playing different formations. He's being asked to cover too much ground. It doesn't work. And then Arteta comes in. It starts to click. He's asked to work harder. He gets it. He plays all Project Restart. And he's arguably our, our best non Aubameyang player in Project Restart. You, you could make that argument, I think. 24, hitting his prime. Real Madrid pedigree. A guy who has starred for the Spanish youth team. Wants to get into that senior team. Could he make himself known as one of the premier central midfielders in the Premier League this season? Is that a leap he can make? I think talent-wise it's there. Can manipulate the ball, can beat a man, can give a little dagger ball in the final third and can pass over distance, can drop back and defend. He he has all the skills, he has the pedigree, he showed a bit of what he can do, didn't look overawed against Manchester City, didn't look overawed against Liverpool, didn't look overawed against Chelsea. Um... What's he going to do against the small teams now? I, I know he he hasn't done that yet. He hasn't shown that he can really be a difference maker in the final third. But if he adds that, and it, as he just starts to enter prime, I could see Danny Ceballos going from nice player who had a good project restart to being a player that puts himself into the conversation of one of the best central midfielders in the league. And... and I'm, I'm going to pick on my hobby horse because why not? I haven't done it all podcast, so I got to do it. Granite Shaka is not my favorite, and I'm not sure that Granite Shaka is the perfect partner for Ceballos. I, I think he's fine. We don't win without him, I get it. But if a party comes in, if if an hour comes in, you know, if someone else in the midfield comes in and Ceballos doesn't have all the responsibilities that he has sometimes with Shaka, if he has a more mobile partner who can cover ground as well, I, I just think suddenly. Suddenly, it changes the dynamic of what he's focusing on. I I believe if we're going to thrive this season, midfield has to improve. And the path to that is a Ceballos breakout season. Clive, is that is that insane? I mean, do you... Uh, obviously, I need a breakout player from you, but do you think I'm overestimating his potential? Yep. <laughs> I know you don't <laughs> no, love no, the player, no. so I, w- I wanted to give you a chance to... Uh, no, 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 no. I don't... I, I... I want that to be true. Can, can I make I one do. point just real quick? Sorry, about wanting it to be true. The irony, what sucks about it is... If he does elevate himself to that level, we have no hope of getting him, right? So yeah, exactly. he's going to be a Real Madrid player next season. So it's it, it, it's a win-lose for us either way. I think I want that to be true while recognizing we lack speed in central midfield. Mm. Simple as that. And so I want that to be true, but I'm not sure the two things work. So it goes back to your last point there, and you sort of almost like caveated it slightly, knowing we need speed in central midfield, knowing that his partner is not going to give us that speed. And so these two players are good players. We know that. They've got a ceiling to how far they can take us. Unless we make them into a good three, you know, then really change how we're going to play, I still think there's a ceiling there. Although we all recognise the huge step forward that him and Shaka made towards the end of last year when no one debated who our middle two should be in the system that we played. So I hope you're right. But again, we're, we're stacking up a problem for ourselves in a year's time when he walks out the door, right? And we'll all be crying. So, 
in some ways, I'm looking for other people to do it, but maybe the ones that we own their contract. So who? <laughs> Give me a breakout player. Fair enough. I, I was going to pick um, one of two. I was going to pick Sleeper, actually. Mm-hmm. And I like it. I like it. That was in my mind as well. And, and the only reason why is because we've wanted this player to be in our back line that defines us for a long time. So when we had Big Sol Campbell, you know, he just defined us defensively in how he played. He wasn't great on the ball, but he was just that body that when he didn't play, we all like was petrified. What's going to happen now? Do you know what I mean? And, um, and I think Sleeber has a style which really transmits itself. He is so calm, so good. He provides such assurance. He's a sort of player that if he does play well, people won't stop talking about him. You know, just by the way he approaches the game and what he does in the game. I heard Adrian Clark say something today that he only committed two fouls last season. That can't be right. Uh, what? I did hear that he's never been booked for a long time or something. That's Per Mertesacker-esque, yeah. Just two fouls. You don't do that unless you've got something incredible about how you make challenges, how you read things, how you time challenges. I mean, that alone... Dev Louise gave away more penalties than that. (laughs) (laughs) If this, It's the sort of thing, uh, you know, when Van Dyke came to Liverpool, it's not just what he did, it's how he did it. Mm. And the authority by which he did it, how he discouraged people from even taking him on. It's almost like when you're fighting Floyd Mayweather, is, is it even worth trying to hit him? You see what I mean? Yeah. Because you can't see his chin. You know, it's just disappeared. It's gone. Some players have that ability to influence your eye like that. And I've got a feeling that if he does well, stays healthy, we'll all be talking about him in that way, regardless of his actual productivity, just by the way he plays and the way he performs. So he's someone I'm really interested in seeing. Yeah. I mean, I was going to say, like, a really big center forward catches your eye and and you're prone to liking him because you want your center forward to look like that. But then, I mean, uh, they can also look particularly gangly and just uncoordinated if it doesn't work out. Um, so I, I'll be very curious. Saliba was going to be a choice for me for sure. I think, I think he has a chance to get in the team and make a difference. And if a 19-year-old big-bodied center back makes a difference, he's going to be someone that everyone's talking about really quickly, especially at a club like Arsenal that hasn't hasn't had much history of, of being effective defensively. I mean, our best defender last season was, yeah, that, Mustafi. That Mustafi, David, <laughs> right? I mean, like that, but that puts it in perspective. Your your best central defender last season was someone who still at many points was a complete clown shoes disaster. So Tim, I hate to end it this way, but this is just how it's organized on the sheet and is by no means a reflection of my general pessimism and, and, uh, attitude towards the world in general. But our final category today is the villain of the piece. So whether we have a good season or whether we have a bad season, regardless, there's always a villain. There's always someone that that becomes the, the player that we pick on. Now, the irony is the way Arsenal Twitter works. Even the villain winds up dividing opinion and people will come to his rescue and defend him uh, nonetheless. But so let me say it this way. Who will be your villain in your mind? You know, not that everybody's going to agree, but in your mind, who is the player that's going to drive you nuts this season? So I think the actual answer to this in terms of the general consensus will be geared by who we sell. So, for example, if we sell Bellerin, it will probably be Maitland-Niles mm. and vice versa. Like, if we sell Martinez, it will be Leno and that's vice versa. That's the clearest versa. one to me, Tim. Just, just interrupt real quick because <laughs> I haven't done it enough this, this episode of Mitching. There's absolutely no question in my mind that if we sell 
a goalkeeper. The yeah, other one is going to get pelters because they can't be good enough to erase the memory of how good the other one was. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. But I'll let you have that one because <laughs> I think, again, to, to, to perhaps have a slightly boring answer, I think it's going to be Meza Ozil. Mm. And the reason it will be Ozil is because I think roughly the same thing's going to happen. Uh, we had the uh, we had the discussion, didn't we, about how many starts. And, and as Paul said, I think we're at the stage where he either is integral or he just doesn't play at all. I think we're going to see a little bit of this in out. Um, and particularly if we la- lack creativity again and things like that. And it will be the last year of his contract. So the discussion will turn very quickly to what is Mesut Ozil's legacy. Um, and... And, and actually, that's that's not an important question really for us as Arsenal fans. It might be an important question for him because of the whole recency bias thing. How this season pans out will completely and utterly define how people remember Meza Ozil at Arsenal. Um, and I think that's going to create, um, unfortunately, I think that's going to cr- generate a lot more discussion, a lot more debate, which means it will be very highly charged. There will be arguments. There will be... Um, people being silly and stuff like that. And I think a lot of people um, will I, I have already probably moved to the stage where they're just like, I, I don't care what's happened anymore. I don't care what he's done on the training ground, blah, blah. I just want this whole situation to go. Mm. And um, and I think that there'll be, rightly or wrongly, a lot of people will turn on, quote unquote, his fan base. Um, and and I, I can see almost Mesut Ozil becoming like uh, the new AFTV, just that kind of coat peg that everyone hangs everything on and everything that everyone thinks is so divisive when um, it probably isn't really. So uh, unfortunately, I think the fact that his contract is winding down will just bring those extreme feelings out in uh, in people who both adore him and really don't like him. Yeah, yeah, I I think there's absolutely every chance that that's how it works out. You know, the thing about a villain to me is, other than Mesut Ozil, who is such a big star that he has the ability to pull focus on him even when he's not around, I think to be a villain otherwise, you've got to be a prominent member of the team, right? So, like, I'm on record not particularly thinking Cedric is great, but if Cedric gets eight starts and makes 14 appearances or something, can he be the villain? I don't think he's a... Big, you know no one I mean? made Licksteiner the villain, right? Mm, yeah, and even though no, no one liked terrible. him, but no one thought he was the villain. Right, exactly. So to me, unfortunately, an obvious choice for this is David Luiz. David Luiz is a very likable guy when it's going well and a guy who's easy to be infuriated by when it's not because the way David Luiz makes mistakes isn't, it isn't just mistakes. It's stupid penalties being given away, obvious red cards, it's going to sleep, it's not holding the line. You know, Clive, you've talked about when he's bad, he drops too deep, he doesn't, you know, keep his line, keep his level. I think David Louis is going to play a lot because we have some young central defenders now. Mustafi is out, and, you know, I still think relying on Mustafi is asking for trouble. He's going to play a lot. He's another year older. I, You know, I mean, let's not pretend the age thing isn't, isn't going to at some point rear its head, and I just think... We already saw a Louise last season who was an incredible um, duality between the hero in some games and the absolute villain in others. But I think if we have that again this season, 
where he doesn't just put together steady performances, but he's heroic in some games and villainous in others. The villainous performances will hold us back, right? I mean, you'd rather have a 7 out of 10 defender all season long than a 10 out of 10 defender in 10 games and a 1 out of 10 defender in 10 games because the can, games where he's a 1, he's going to kill you, Tim, yeah? Yeah, I was going to say, can I, can I come back on that? Because um, I, you know, I know we kind of, we combined the breakthrough and improved player. With improved player, I would have gone with Louise and I'll tell you why. I think this season, his role is so, so clear. His role is to oversee his own redundancy, right? He's got one year on his contract. We've got two new um, young centre-halves. We've got another backup centre-half. His role is to be the big brother to these two new centre-halves, particularly Gabriel, who's Brazilian. Um, obviously, that means Luis speaks Portuguese. He also speaks French um, from Paris Saint-Germain. I think that this challenge will focus David Luiz, I think it's something, looking at his career, he is enormously motivated by. He is enormously motivated by the idea of being a mentor. Um, that's what he really, really likes. And all of the young players at the club talk about him. And I know this is on the training ground and not on the pitch, but they talk about him as this guy who's really, really like um, takes that side of things seriously. I think that that will keep his focus up because the way I see it is I think we'll start with a bit of a back three, not necessarily right away, but I think we'll be in a back three with Louise, Saliba and Gabriel. And I think he, I think that will keep his focus nice and high. This idea that he's babysitting these two guys and that it's his last year in probably an elite team. He will probably go to Benfica next summer. And I think, again, this might be his legacy year. He might think, right, I've been in the Premier League for a few years. I've divided opinion. This is my year to go out on a high. And I, I think that that I think that will take away some of the lapses in concentration we see. Yeah, and I sure hope you're right. I mean, don't get me wrong. I'm not picking the villain I hope is the villain. And, right, and I'm not saying that I think it will definitely happen. I think he has big villain potential baked in. Because, again, he's not much of a 7 out of 10 defender from what I've seen. He is usually a 10 out of 10 or a 4 out of 10 or a 1 out of 10. And it only takes a few performances that are 1 out of 10 from a defender to have lost you the points you need where you can't get into the top four. And I I hope we're not looking at it that way. But I just, I, I think his potential, given how much he should play and given the variance in his play, puts it out there. And also just his personality. There's something about his personality that when he's bad, he just feels easy to spot being terrible. You know what I mean? He's, the hair's flipping around and he's making silly mistakes and he's he's tugging someone back and giving away a penalty. Clive, uh, why don't you weigh in on, on that and then give us your, your villain? Yeah, so I think Ozil and David Luiz have become narrative villains, right? So mm -hmm. they almost control the narrative of our team. When we don't beat Aston Villa, we miss an Ozil. So that sort of specter's hanging over us. When David Luiz... All someone from behind, and then and the referee gives a penalty, sometimes unfairly. We then do, you know, we we think the thoughts that you have, Elliot. And I think I agree with him about the mentoring side of things. That's that's quite clear. I also think he start. I think that's going to go one step further. I think he's going to start coaching, like proper coaching. I I see something in him as a a potential coach, and he has a very good young coach right around him to learn from and. Mm. If it wasn't for the Benfica stories, I would. He, he, there could be a role for him at the club. Real, you know. I do think he is that influential. You know, he's he's shocked me. I did not know this side of him, but to hear the young players talk about him, I think it's quite interesting. And we both those players, Ozil and Louise, 
what we've done by adding centre-backs and Willian is we've decreased our dependency on them. Mm. And then if you add in Smith Rowe, for example, we're decreasing that dependency on their skill set, which means they have become less of an issue because we, they're not the only ones. We're not dependent on them playing time. At the back there, I want Luis to play some games, but I want him to sit some games. I couldn't really imagine him sitting last year because of the players that were playing in front of him weren't that great, right? So but the reliance on them is both decreasing. So, yeah, I think my feeling actually will be potentially if he stays, will be Gwendouzi. Mm. And and the reason why, because if he stays and stops us getting what we really need, I think he could be the one we take our eye to. Um, on the playing side of things, I, I did a bit, I mean, I said it before, that I hope he recovers from playing side of things because there's something there. It's how he, my slight sleeper, I look forward to watching how he plays. With, with Gwendouzi, a good Gwendouzi, how he plays, I don't think fits the team. So I think there's villain potential there, and depending on how I, don't, I just don't trust these off and mouth. on the pitch. I guess yeah, no, I, I I think that's fair. Um, to be clear, one thing with the, with Louise thing, I just want to say I think he's extremely likable in terms of what he adds behind the scenes. The irony is you talk about two real leaders in the team, and you won't go far before Louise is mentioned and before Shaq is mentioned. Two players who on the pitch have the ability to do a brain dead thing that will drive you nuts. There's no debating off the pitch what the players think of them in terms of their leadership and their, the whole, their the whole club loves them, doesn't they? I mean, yeah. it's not, it's not, yeah. there's no debate. Yeah. Not, they, they run the show. Right? So I'm not so saying it's it. going to be that he becomes unlikable as a person, but I, I do think when center backs make dumb mistakes, it you lose your, you lose your pay. You know, much like goalkeepers, it's not about how good they are. It's when they're not good. You know what I mean? A goalkeeper can be fantastic. But a few errors will have you hating them. And I, I think center back is like that too. And so we've just had too many players, ironically, down the years that like are okay a, a lot of the time, but make mistakes that will kill you. Errors that lead to goals. And that that's how you wind up a villain. Um, I think that's good. We can leave it there. Scott's going to come on and I'm going to give him a whopping 15, 20 minutes to do all of these right down in a row. Uh, rapid fire. So he's going to come on next. But uh, after this, let's do another podcast this week. Uh, Friday, we will have just sort of a, an actual qualitative Look ahead to Fulham and the season getting started without all this game stuff. Because Clive, I know you hate. I know you hate the over under, pick a number, play this game, play hard. that game. I tried really hard. I thought I've done okay, haven't I? You've Can done. I know you don't like now? it, but you participated manfully, and and we'll yeah, let you yeah, just you. talk actual football uh, on the next one. And Tim, I know you hate talking actual football and prefer to gamify everything. So thank you for playing. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. All right. So that'll do it. Uh, Tim's on Twitter, Stilberto. Thanks, man. My pleasure as always. Clive's on Twitter, Clive PFC. Thanks, Clive. Thank you very much. Over on the Patreon side tomorrow, two short pods. One explaining the Predictatron, how you can get involved, and uh, and and what we're predicting this season. I'll give you a hint. It's wins, losses, and draws. Uh, and then we'll also have our FPL uh, intro pod, just a quick 20, 30 minutes to lay out our FPL stuff that we do for patrons, which again, if it's not your thing, no worries. Uh, if it is your thing, get involved. So, and then a main pod on Friday. So still plenty more to come. And the whole Scott section just for his own, for his ego, for his, his emotions to listen to it or say you listen to it. You can skip it if you want, but tell me you listen to it. In any event, okay. uh, <laughs> stay with us. We got more coming up. We'll be back right after this. And this time we are joined by Scott, who is going to prove 
that you don't need all the razzle-dazzle explanation. When you know stats, numbers, and analytics, you can go through 45 topics of over-under in let's say 15 minutes. So for those of you watching on Patreon, uh, you see Scott. For those of you who are listening to the regular pod, you hear Scott and you can find him on Twitter at O underscore that underscore crab. Always with your handle, that happens to me. Hello, Scott. Yeehaw. Yeehaw. You threw me off. There you go. That was better. Thank you. You threw threw me off just like I throw you off every time talking about it. Routinely. Routinely do. So, um, Scott, I have sent you the sheet in advance so you know what to expect. Uh, Given the verbosity of the regular crew, we're going to try to speed through this so as not to have uh, a season prediction podcast that is actually going when the season has concluded. Um, And given the COVID situation, who knows whether that's after game one or game 38. So we will start off right off the bat with league finish over under 5.5. Now explain to the main group and I will explain to you as well. Uh, When I say over, that means better than. So fifth, fourth, third, under would be worse. So over or under 5.5? Under. Under. What do you got? Sixth place. Sixth? I got sixth place. Yep. Um, I did, you know, so my model actually has this uh, seven and a half is our average finish in the model. Okay, so if I said over under seven and a half, you'd be screwed because you'd have to say exactly seven and a half. We're going to finish seven well, I, and a I, half. I, th- I, I think six. <laughs> I think six. You think six. Okay, fair Absolutely. enough. That's my guess. And where do you have us on league points? Over under 62.5. Under at 60 points. Ooh, it's not a great season, is it? Is that what the model has? Uh, model has 57. So I'm, I'm, again, more optimistic than the model. Yeah, and still pretty shitty. League goals, over under 65.5 league goals. 64. Just under? Yeah, so I said 64, model says 58. 58. So the model doesn't see us getting a lot better, does it? <laughs> well, no, I mean, and a part of it is because the you know the end of the season was not great. So mm-hmm. that really kind of hurt things. Oh, and then there's the Emery stink still all over it. Yeah, and obviously the model doesn't take into account any player changes, so it doesn't take into account Willian, it doesn't take into account Saliba and Gabriel, it doesn't take into account Party, it doesn't take into account Alar, it doesn't take into account Coutinho, it doesn't take into account uh, Tiago. I could do this joke all day long. Okay, league goals conceded, 45.5. I said over. Mm. 47 was my guess. 47, and what's your model have? 53. Oh, God, it's got us conceding 53 and scoring, what, 58? 57? Yep. So, yeah, a plus a plus five goal difference well, is what the model says for Beats our minus start. seven XG from last season, I suppose. You can't argue with that. Willian starts. Now your model can eat it because there's no model for this, my friend. Over under 25.5 league starts for Willian. I said 23, so under. You're going to say 23 league starts. Out of curiosity, at what position do you think most of those starts will come? Um, I think a lot of it's going to be from the left. I think that'll be the primary spot, but I think he'll see minutes all over the attacking band. It's really tough, right? Because if you say it's going to come from the left, you're predicting Aubameyang to move central, which he hasn't done under Arteta. You're saying it's going to come at the expense of Oba on the left or Saka on the left. Like it is tricky. You, I, I, so when it comes to this, the, the William thing, I went well under, I said 16, which is probably stupid. But the reason is I'm just like, I don't have any proof he's going to move Oba from the left. I don't have any proof he's not going to want to play Pepe. I know that he really likes Saka. I know that he likes to play in Kedia. Um, he didn't sign Willian and not play him, but unless we switch to a back three, a back four, and it's four two three one, and Willian plays nominally as sort of like a number ten, I, I, I don't know. Maybe he becomes the center forward in sort of a weird way and takes up that Lacazette role. I, 
I, I would love it to mean Oba moves centrally, but there's no evidence of that yet. So it will be interesting to see where those starts come. You have it under, but just under 23. What about his goals? I set that over under at 8.5. I said five. So I think it's going to be under as well. Mm, I went with six myself. Oba goals, 21.5. He's 22 the last two seasons. Where do you have Man, this wasn't on the sheet, was it? Obama Maybe I missed goals? it. Maybe uh, I, you missed I, it. I, I skipped it. All right, what was the, the over-under again? 21.5. He's 22 the last two seasons, but as you will probably know, those are coming on like 16 yeah. and 14 expected goals, 16 and 17 expected goals, respectively, something like that. So he's been outperforming that his XG. Is, reg- is regression coming for our favorite player? I don't know if he's going to be able to get as many minutes because, I mean, he's been in so many matches. I, I'm kind of leaning 18, 19. I'm going to say 19. Mm. Under. Under, yeah. You I know, mean, it's still, good, still a good finish, yes. I mean, that's, you know, a very respectable amount. But I think there, there might be a few less games played, maybe a little bit less hot finishing and 19. You know, the interesting thing, what I said is, he could have a better season in that his XG could be 18 or 19 but he could just match his XG. So finish with a few less goals, but have a season that feels a little little qualitatively better in a way because he's in more goal-scoring positions, he's getting more chances, he's taking more shots, but instead of vastly outperforming XG, he just equals it. And you wind up with a 19-goal season where he played better in some ways, but his finishing leveled off, if that makes any sense. Yeah. I mean, the other thing that could happen is Arsenal could go out and draw like, you know, 12 penalties and then he could score 30 goals on, you know, based on just, you know, scoring penalties. Well, certainly Pepe. I mean, if if they change the rules and uh, literally trying to murder him becomes a foul this season, he could definitely pick up more penalties. That that was something that was really frustrating last season. So we'll see. Speaking of Pepe, I set his over under 11.5. Where do you see him coming in for goals? I have it about right at 10. I think that'll be about the number. Okay. I think he's going to share some minutes. I don't think he's going to get a huge bump in the number of minutes he plays. Um, so I, I, I think 10 is about right. Yeah, I, I think, you know, uh, I debated doing goals plus assists for some of these players and decided not to bother. Assists seem so variable too, don't they, Scott? I feel like assists and expected assists don't often connect as well as goals and expected goals. Is that fair? Yeah, it definitely is because you do are you are reliant on something else to happen yeah. from there. So you're you're one step further back. From yeah, I think expected action. goals and goals can be used not interchangeably, but usually have a reasonable approach. But like expected assist versus assist, unlike goals, if I'm the striker and I have an xG of three, and I score, you know four goals or two goals, or three goals, it's still, I'm controlling it, right? It's my finishing that yeah. determines it. But if I'm a, a mercurial number 10 sliding in through balls left and right, and I have an expected assist of 20 expected assists, and wind up with two, it's because I'm not in control of what that player does once I put him into position. So you, you, you have less control of it. Out of curiosity, do, were expected assists tallied in that season that Ozil almost broke the Premier League record? Because I know Giroud's cold spell coincided with Ozil sitting like one assist away from Henri's record or whatever. And I'd be curious to know how let down he was by his teammates. Cause the narrative that season was that he should have smashed the record. And then, uh, uh Giroud in particular, let him down. I'd be curious to see that. Yeah, there is, um, data going back to, I believe it really kind of starts about 2010, 11 as the, the start of when things happen. Um, there's been some changes a little bit to the way the data is collected. Um, so yes, there is definitely data for the 14, 15 season. I don't have it, pulled up and ready to go, but I do have it and I can, you know, I'll, I'll text it to you. 
Yeah, and and I will let you know for those of you who are not watching at home on on the Patreon feed, um, uh, Scott and I have taken a very different approach to how how to do video. I am jamming my face into the camera so you can actually measure my age by counting the lines on my forehead, and Scott is trying to get so far away that uh, if you had to pick him out of a lineup, there's still a chance you would get it wrong. So we're we're taking a di different different approach. Same end result though, which is that we can see each other and chat with each other. So uh, let's move on to Cedric starts. This is a fun one for me. I'm kind of curious. I said it yeah, at 14.5. Um, me, Paul, and Clive went over. Tim went under. Where do you come out on this? I come under. Um, and and I think this still, even if Bellerin is sold, I think that he is not the, the first choice backup if, if Bellerin is the presumed starter. So I have him at eight league starts. So I guess all I would say is let's say Bellerin is sold. And it's basically Maitland-Niles and Cedric. If you have him at eight, do you see Maitland Niles starting thirty games in the Premier League at right back? I have him, right yeah, about twenty-eight. I think that's kind of where I'm leaning right now. Well, then my next starts. question, which is Maitland Niles starts over under twenty point five, you have him over at twenty-eight. That's a massive number. And that is definitely assuming Bellerin is sold. I'm kind of reading the tea leaves, and I, I think that there's. I, I, if I was going to put a probability on it, I'd say probably between sixty and seventy percent right now. Yeah, okay. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, a lot of these, there's a couple that are predicated on sales. This one, pretty obvious. Genduzzi, 12.5 league starts. And we added this, by the way, Scott, because the Genduzzi, I'm ready to get back to work at Arsenal tweet Instagram post, forced us into a late change to include him after assuming he was gone. So 12.5 league starts, where do you fall? I, I still say under. I, I don't think he's going to do more than five, and I think that would require still injury crisis. I, I would love to see it. And I have actually the other way around too. I know this is kind of going out of order, but you know, you had Joe Willick there at six and a half. Um, I unfortunately said eight starts on that one. And I think that's just going to be kind of the way things are reading the tea leaves right now. I think so much also of the midfield starts and statistics will boil down to how long we stick with the back three. If it's back three all season, you've got two players in the midfield, essentially. Um, Shaq and Smile certainly look like the starters. If you sign a midfielder like Party or Awar, you know, well, I don't think Awar would necessarily play in the two in a, in a back three, but if you sign Party, he's definitely a starter, you would think, along with Sabayos or Shaka. There's not a lot of other starts to go around. If we switch to a back four, and then you have a midfield three or four two three one, suddenly that brings Willick back into it. It brings, um, well, potentially Mesut Ozil back into it, kind of ironically. It could bring Ganduzi back into it, but it, it creates more opportunity. Willian, I think, then would have another position he could yeah. occupy. So that would change it. And in fact... Um, I I did, you know what it was? I We did this in the Patreon pod. I should have put it on here because it's a great question. Um, I'll ask it to you. We won't keep track of it, but but in the Patreon pod, we covered this, and I think it's fascinating. Over, under, I think it was 20, well, let's just say over, under 25 Premier League games starting with a back three. You said 25? Mm -hmm. um, I'm going to take the under and hope it's something like 10 or 12. So you really think the back three is short-lived, that it that its future is limited? Yeah, and I think a lot of that is just because there hasn't been a lot of time to work on anything else. Um, that's how we ended last yeah. season. There was a month, and then we were right back into things. Um, so I think that probably, you know, some of these behind-closed-doors matches, I think those have been probably trying to, you know, work in back to the back four. Um, I think that is the, the long-term plan. Certainly, I think the back three is here to stay for big games, at least you know for the time being, because it's worked so well in the big games. 
I definitely agree with you that Arteta would prefer to play a back four against smaller teams where we haven't shown the ability to push them back and create enough chances from enough variety of angles and positions. Um, so that one we won't tabulate, but I think that's an interesting point because a lot of, about starts and goals and assists and the season and how it all goes, I think depends on two things that we that we don't know right now. One is what happens with the rest of the transfer window, and then the other is formation. Um Exactly. And I think even yeah. when you, you've seen this in our matches, it's like when Tyranny is that left center back and you have a more attacking left wing back in front of him, it very easily morphs into a more traditional back four instead of being, you yep. know, the back three. So I think yep. that, you know, it's we, we talk a lot about these formations, but it's really more about what roles are people going to be asked necessarily over what position they're playing. But it still sort of depends, right? So what's interesting, when we played the back three late in the season, it would morph in possession into a 4-2-2-2 at times, something like that. Well, with Maitland-Niles playing left wing back, you can do that because he can go into that two in midfield, but he can defend like a fullback. You can't necessarily do that with all of the options you'd have to go into that too, right? Ganduzi isn't going to drop in and play left wing back. Willian probably isn't even, although maybe he's a fit for that. Ozil certainly isn't. Um, Awar, if he comes in, probably not. So I think still, even if you start a back three, even if you want to say in possession, we wind up being more of a back four, that, that person going into the midfield still has to be able to nominally play a wing back position defensively, which Maitland Niles can do, which makes him so valuable, which is probably why he will start a lot. Uh, Gabriel and Saliba up next. I set the over under on both at 10.5. So Gabriel first and Saliba second. 10.5 league starts. Yeah, and I haven't really changed my opinion too much since we talked about Gabriel. So I still think he's going to be about 23 starts. Um, mm-hmm. I think that he will definitely be more of a, a person who will start. Uh, Gabriel, I said under, I'm sorry, Saliba, I said under at 10. Okay, so you, you so think, think Gabriel think will be the one who plays start. Can I ask you a question? Do you think Gabriel is ahead of Saliba in terms of the player he is right now? Because, I, I mean, I get that he's he's three years his senior, but I I can't help thinking Saliba is actually ahead of him as a player at this time. I mean, age is just a number. I, no, I, no, I do think that he is. Um, he's played for a better team. Um, he played more consistently. Um, so I do think that, yes, he is um, ahead of him right now. Okay, that's totally fair. Um, maybe it's just that people are higher on Saliba's ceiling, but I'm misinterpreting that in terms of their current development. I certainly think Saliba is seen as the bigger um, talent. Prospect, yeah. Yeah, yeah okay. I think so. Uh, okay, so Ozil starts. I put this at 8.5. I don't know if you're following. He's doing really good PR. He is a, a PR master. He was on the social media doing some Q&A, and he said... I am fit for Fulham. Unfortunately, I don't pick the team. It's out of my hands. Uh, we did know that mess it. But uh, what do you think? 8.5 starts. is also, I mean, just to be clear, Paul and Clive both went with zero. Um, where do you see this landing? I, I, I'm a little bit more optimistic than that. I, I think he's going to have four starts. So I'm, I'm oh. under on here. I mean, I, it's really hard to say that he's going to do more than that, seeing as he hasn't even been in an 18 in quite a mm-hmm. while. So that's the the big thing. When, you know, maybe we reevaluate this in, you know, a month and he's, you know, at least been making the bench kind of a thing. And then I'll be more optimistic that he'll actually get some starts. I think there's a few things here. If we continue to play a back three, what's the point of him? He's not going to play on the left. He's not going to play on the right. Yeah. He's not going to play number nine. And he can't play either the double pivot through midfield. He's certainly not going to play wing back. There isn't a Mesodozo position in the back three. And we know we're going to play back three early. So the question is, when we transition to back four, now there's a you don't think he's going to be the false nine as the, the, the center forward? I mean, the funny thing is, at 24, 25 years old, 
the way we're playing, he, he could have been the perfect person for that in some ways. He's not now. Um, so it's just, when do we switch to a back four? Do we play it against smaller teams? If we sign an Awar and a party, you probably still don't need him. Willian will play there a bit. Awar would play there a bit. If we don't sign anybody, um, yeah, he's going to have starts there as long as he gets on the boat. Will he get on the boat? That's what it boils down to. Um, and also, we still don't know why he's frozen out. I think with Ganduzi, we know. He was frozen out because, because the the coach and the player got into it. And he did something to run afoul of the coach, and the coach sent him on the naughty step and said, you're out of here. We don't really know with Ozil as much. Was it pressing him to try to get him to say, fine, I'll leave and take a pay cut to go somewhere else? Was it? Was there a falling out? Was it just, we don't need you anymore and you're a distraction? I mean, we don't... I think we have a clear picture of why Ganduzi was sent away from the team than we do on Ozil. And so, we don't we, because we don't have that clear picture, I don't think we know what it would take Ozil doing to be brought back into the reckoning. I think we know with Ganduzi, if he came back to Arteta and said, I'm really sorry, I screwed up, I was an ass, I'm ready to work hard and be on the boat, he's back in. But we don't... Is it fair to say, Scott, that we don't really know what it is that that Ozil has to do because we don't know what he did. Yeah, and there's part of it that makes it feel like it's coming above the manager's pay grade, um, that this is something that's kind of been dictated to him. That, I think because that's it's, as well. You know, three coaches in a row that have done it. So it's one of those... I don't know necessarily yeah, where this is coming from, and I don't know necessarily that there's anything that the coach has to say. It's Yeah, there, there's a lot of... here where you know, I don't think the full truth is coming from the Arsenal side, at least. Yeah, no, that's fair. All right, well, uh, so for his assists, if you're under four starts, I don't know how many appearances you have, but what do you have for assists? I said it at 4.5. I said two. Mm-hmm. Again, because I just, I just don't. He hasn't been in the 18, so you, you can't even be a sub. It's hard to create assists. Yeah. Um, I said two. I don't. I mean, again, that's a, a high variance kind of prediction. Okay, so give me Enkedia goals seven point five. I said six. Um, I actually think he's going to get quite a few minutes, but um, I don't know how many goals he's actually going to score. He actually has a pretty solid goal scoring record. But he was point four six xg ninety. I was looking at this, which is really good. That's really yeah. good. Yeah, yeah, and you know his time in Leeds wasn't bad. Again, a lot of that was you know sub minutes and stuff yeah. like that. So I think I, I, he definitely has the track record to be able to do it. Um, but I still think six would still be a really good return for him. Okay, and then how many starts is that going to come on? Over under fourteen point five. I said uh, thirteen, so he's going to be just under fourteen and a half. So, yeah, but I, I still mean, think, yeah, and that and yeah, this is another one that's really dependent on Lacazette. what happens with yeah. Yep, yep totally agree. Saka goals eight point five, and again, Saka is probably a player where it would have been more fair to go with assists, but we agreed ahead of time not to do assists, so we're just doing goals. Eight point five would be a hell of an upgrade from his one. What do you think? I think five. Um, I I think his numbers are going to be better because I don't think he's necessarily going to play as much time as a, a wing back or a full back, I think he will get more starts further up the pitch. Um, but it's just, that's a really big jump for him um, at, at his age. Um, I think if he's in that five to seven range, I would be very happy. And I think that everybody would be ecstatic with that. I could see a season where Saka scores 11 goals and has seven assists. And you look back and like three of the goals and two of the assists were in the premier league and the rest were in like Europa league and FA cup or something, because especially, you know, again, 
Aubameyang's going to play a ton. Pepe's going to play a ton. Williams going to play a ton. And Kedia will play. We just know that. Lacazette, if he's around, is obviously going to play a lot. Um, Martinelli, come January, may need to get some minutes, although he may just need a lot of time to get back into shape. Saka, it doesn't have a clear path. I mean, Arteta found lots of ways to use him, so we know we'll use him. He doesn't have a clear path to a position where he can really call his own and dominate and start to put up numbers. I think the Europa League is going to be really important for that, and maybe we'll start to see a big breakout there that doesn't fully translate to the Premier League in terms of goals and assists. So now we get to the ones we can sort of uh, think about qualitatively. Player of the season. To be clear, I'm not saying who will the fans vote player of the season. Who do you believe will be our player of the season? If they said to you, Arsenal called you up, end of the season said, Scott, please award a player of the season. Who are you going to be awarding it to? To me, it really does feel like there's only one answer to this, and it's got to be Aubameyang. I mean, he's the most important player. I think he's our most talented player, and I, it's yeah, it's hard to really pick anybody else. So it's funny, right? Like, I mean, Tim made a good point. You could see a fan vote where someone like Tierney wins it because he's sure. so likable, and he, he grafts, and he, he's good at both ends. He's very talented, too. Let's not just, I'm not trying to be condescending. But yeah, I mean, in a team that doesn't create enough chances, and, and hopefully that will change, a guy who can score over 20 goals for you as your player of the season. And if he's not our player of the season, Scott, I think you can make an argument we had a bad season, if you follow me. I like, think so, yeah. Because yes. then you're saying, who is it? Well, if, if your player of the season is Tierney, that probably means Aubameyang put in 16 goals or something, and that, that could be an issue. Um, or if it's one of our goalkeepers again, yeah, that means, yeah, we, yeah, we didn't yeah. improve on defense. Yeah, you, you don't want that. So uh, let me ask you this. So I've got two categories that are hard to parse. There's most improved and breakout player. So most improved is just a player who you think will go from one level to the next. Breakout player is someone who will sort of um, burst out in a way that that is more substantial. So so I they're, they're very close. They're very nuanced, and they probably shouldn't both exist. But I'm going to ask you to give me one qualitatively, however you see it falling. So let's start with most improved. Who do you have for that? So I, I actually did pick Pepe for both of these. And I, I think that you can make an argument that makes sense for having him in both categories. To so be fair, I think, I think that, you can make an argument that both categories are identical. <laughs> so, sure. I mean, so fair enough. Yeah, go ahead. <laughs> Yeah. So, I mean, I think that, you know, so it's been a, 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 not necessarily a tough first season, but it wasn't necessarily the first season that you would expect from a record signing. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that there's definitely room for improvement there. Um, I think that you could see um, Arteta finding ways to use him better last season towards the end. Um, I actually think his, his partnership with uh, Maitland Niles was really good. Um, I think that helps to unlock him a little bit because Maitland-Niles is better, I think, at getting that width than Bellerin. Um, I don't necessarily think that means he's a better player than Bellerin, but I think he does do the the overlap and width better. Maybe that was just because that's what Arteta asked him to do, where Bellerin was given more of that midfield role. So I think if that is the case for Arsenal, I think that that's something that Pepe will do better. Um, I think that they're are flashes of him um, last season at the end where he was getting better shot locations. Um, you could really see, you know, where he was going for those far corners, but instead of it being right at the corner of the 18 yard box, it was a lot closer to the top of the D, which I think would be really good. I think you could see him, you know, getting into the, the double digits of league goals. Um, I think that is where Arsenal are going to get more of the improvement, hopefully. So I think that both of those things kind of say that this is going to be the, the most, you know, the big improvement, 
And, you know, I think he's going to go from a guy that maybe was a little bit of a disappointment to breaking out into maybe not quite a star, but probably that next guy that we think of as our most important player. Yeah, no, I I mean, and I think that'd be great because it'd be nice to like be able to talk about Pepe without his price tag being the first thing that's mentioned. Um, I, it's funny because I said most improved Pepe, but I said breakout Ceballos. And I, I just think that like, based on how he looked in Project Restart, I think there's a player in there who you could wind up talking about in the absolute upper echelon of central midfielders if you take that level and then take that level up as he hits his early prime. Um, and that that would be... Exactly. No, I think that's a, a really good argument because I think he really did find his role at the end, mm-hmm. you know, playing that little bit deeper, doing a little bit more of the connecting. Um, you could even see some of his, you know, late runs starting to happen. Um, so I, I think that's a, a good call, and I am so happy for him to be back. Yeah, it, it just sucks, right? Because there's no scenario where you see Ceballos having a world-beater season, like a brilliant season, that allows us to keep him. Like, if he is one of the best central midfielders in the Premier League this season, he's a, he's a Madrid player next season, and that's the only shitty thing about it. So uh, last but not least, because, of course, I ended on this, uh, who is your villain of the piece? Uh, it doesn't mean we'll have a bad season. Hopefully not, but... Uh, at the end of the season, if you're saying that's the guy that was really villainous for us, who who is it going to be? I mean, I, this one seems pretty obvious too. Um, and I went with David Luiz. So um, I. I mean, it's got to be a defender, I think, because those are the guys that are going to make the mistakes, cause the errors, you know, draw penalties, get the red cards. Um, we we saw that David Luiz has a, an error in him. I think if he is uh, a starter consistently, he's going to happen a lot. And I think that's going to be, yeah, really what happens. Yeah. I mean, it, it is a situation, right? Where like you could see him being brilliant in plenty of games, but it just takes a few games of being a disaster at center back to become a villain. Um, well, that was good, Scott, because we whipped through that pretty quickly and we needed to, given the length of this podcast and given the fact the season is on its way, uh, we'll be chatting with you a lot more uh, throughout the season. Obviously, and and uh, as I get better at scheduling things, hopefully a lot more beyond that. So, uh, plenty more to come. We'll have two patron pods tomorrow for our Predictatron and our Fantasy Premier League uh, intro, and then Friday a final podcast leading up to the start of the season. And then the season is on, so uh, it's it's all good. It's God, it's crazy that it's back already, but we live in hope. Maybe a couple more signings, maybe a special season on the horizon, and we just. Uh, can't wait for it to start and thank you for being with us and we're thrilled to have you with us for another season of the Arsenal adventure and hopefully it's a good one so we love you and we'll talk to you after Arsenal 10 full of milk